The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the kickoff to earnings season, what it will take to keep stocks moving higher. We discuss and debate the road ahead for your money with the Investment Committee today. Joining me for the hour, Bryn Talkington, Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal and Steve Weiss, uh, check the markets, a different picture uh, than how it looked a couple hours ago. Uh, we're red across the board. Uh, all three of the major averages are in the red. 463 is the, uh, the yield on the 10-year note. So things are looking pretty good, Jimmy, until consumer sentiment came out, which was a huge miss. Mm -hmm. And then one-year inflation expectations rose to the highest level since May. You had Larry Fink of BlackRock on our network hour or so uh, ago, inflation higher for longer, long rates will be above 5%. That does not sound like Goldilocks to me. What a difference a week makes, don't you think? Well, I don't uh, know, maybe a day. I was calling you Jimmy Goldilocks yesterday, but uh, I'm not some, calling you that some, today. There were some cracks yesterday. We acknowledged them with that CPI report. Um, really needed that CPI report, folks, yesterday to come in softer than expected. It didn't. So here's what we're looking at. Inflation is indeed a little stickier than expected. I don't think that's fatal for the markets. I think we're talking about inflation with a three-handle now. I'm going to say something that may not be popular. It may even get my committee mad at me. But as we go into 2024, Never. you know, we got to figure out that this is an election year coming up in 2024. And if you've got headline CPI at 3%, yes, Jay Powell and everybody else says 2%. I think they're going to be hard-pressed folks to put this economy into a recession, which frankly is what's necessary to get down to 2%. I don't think they're going to do it in an election year. I think they're going to settle at 3%. And that's going to, that's going to keep rates where they are right now. I understand before anyone jumps on me, that's not the prevailing sentiment. I am very comfortable being out, outside the mainstream. Weiss. I can't find anything more, more unattractive than jumping on him. Uh, listen, it doesn't matter if rates stay where, the, if they raise or not. It's that rates stay where they are. Even if rates come down a little bit, it doesn't matter. The economy is going to recession. We keep seeing the data trending that way. So the bull case built upon Sands essentially saying no more hikes just doesn't matter. The die is cast. You're seeing a delayed reaction to the massive tightening cycle that we've seen. So as you look at investing in the market and in stocks, you always have to decide what are the, what's the risk and what's the reward. There is no near-term reward. Jimmy, hold on. I, I, hold, hold, I, as you would say, hold on, cowboy, or cowgirl, whatever your nomenclature is. just freaking go, man. God. I'm going. Tell them to stop and try. Well, Look. stop with the stupid comments and jokes. Just make your point. Come on, man. Seriously. Okay, if you look at the, the risks and the rewards, where are the rewards? The reward is based on hiking rates, right? That's not going, that's, maybe that doesn't happen. Doesn't matter. The die is cast, as I said. Look at the risks. The risks are that we see an escalation of the, of the issues that we're seeing in the Middle East. What happens then? Possibly oil goes to 150. 
right? If oil goes to 150, you're not going to be able to avoid a recession. We don't know what's going to happen. Low probability Iran gets involved, but the possibility is there. The risk is still there. So let's let's take a look at the balance there. There is no balance. It firmly tilts to the risk side of the equation. Then, coupled with, yes, the equal weighted S&P, maybe valuations aren't that high, but as earnings come down, what we're going to see this quarter is a moment in time with earnings moving higher. We're seeing some earnings come out. They're not good. Even if you look at the earnings that reported today, the banks, what they're talking about is a slowing consumer. What leads the economy? 60%, 70% leads the economy. So to me, it's a very obvious case. I understand being bullish. I'm not advocating selling everything. I think that you don't sell stocks where you have good gains in, but I also think it's the point in time where you assess your portfolio and you say, what am I married to? What will stand the test of time? What can I get into substantially cheaper on a uh, reversal in the market? 200,000 weekly initial jobless claims. The labor market is strong. Inflation is 3.7%, not 9%. Disposable income is going up. You listened to Ed Bastian at Delta yesterday where earnings beat and he sees demand strong. You listen to Jamie Dimon today. He says the consumer and corporate balance sheets are healthy. I will grant you there are risks. You're not an idiot. You're not completely wrong. What I'm saying to you is there are a lot of positives out there. As much as you accuse me of ignoring the negatives, I accuse you right back of ignoring the positives and while I think the positives outweigh the negatives, even in a tie, human nature is to grow and expand and build. You see, I'm not ignoring the, the positives. I'm absorbing the positives into my bearish case, which pushes rates higher for longer, maybe even higher than where they are now. Because it These wasn't fatal it, was, it wasn't good news. The jobs number wasn't good news. Yes, as you was. said, as you said in your preamble, CPI was not good news. It wasn't it was bad tighter. news either. Okay, so I look at that. So look, reasonable people can disagree. You're reasonable, I'm reasonable. We're both doing this a long time. I'm just looking at the future and the trends where I believe, with all due respect, you're focused on today and single data points, not the trends. So, Joe, you want to step in and, and settle it on, on either side? I mean, I. I bring up again what Larry Fink said, you know, if he's correct, that the essential point he's making is inflation is going to be sticky and the long, <laughs> the long rates are going to remain higher than, than I think people are, are ready for. You know, 5% is not exactly a Goldilocks environment. You think about if the long end of the curve remains at 5%, think of where mortgage rates remain, yeah. uh, over 7%. Makes it awfully difficult for anybody to buy a house makes it difficult for people who have homes to move. It just makes the possibility of credit issues front and center for as long as rates remain that elevated with inflation that sticky. Okay, so I'm sitting here listening to, to Jimmy and Steve, and it's very clear they have different views. And I'm saying to myself, which way is the market positioned? Is the market positioned more in the direction of what Jimmy sees, or is the market positioned more in the direction of what Steve sees? Given what we see today, by the way, okay, where geopolitics is the dominant driver of where we're pricing risk assets and the safe haven trade is back. Okay, they're buying bonds today. The VIX is back approaching 20, which were, was where it was Monday morning. The price of crude oil is 86.74, which is back approaching where it was Sunday night so at 87 pop. and a it's, quarter. It's popping definitely today. It's, they're all popping. Yeah. So what, what that indicates to me Gold. is that positioning is coalescing around Steve's bias. It's continuing to build the short bias as we move into the fourth quarter. And that's why I believe in the near term, 
that Jimmy ultimately is going to be right because I think the fourth quarter is going to be a strong one. I think when you acknowledge everything that you laid out, Scott, which I'm not going to repeat because everyone, all the viewers know it, all of us on Wall Street know it, economically, we are going to see a deterioration both in terms of the government, the consumer, and for corporations. The lag effect of what the Federal Reserve has done, in my opinion, is already beginning to take hold within the market. So you could look at financials and you could say, okay, that was the best third quarter collectively for Citi, Wells, and J.P. Morgan. Collectively, revenue was up 34%, $22.5 billion. Spectacular. Or you could look at it and you could listen to what Wells Fargo said, talking about the challenges in their securities portfolio as it relates to commercial real estate. That's not going to get any better. You could listen to J.P. Morgan and Citi, which are looking forward and saying, yes, we believe that there are going to be higher charge-offs, and there were higher charge-offs in this quarterly report. But then you suggest, hang on, yeah. but, but then you're suggesting, because I don't want it to get buried what you said at the beginning, you're looking for stocks to make a run yeah. in the fourth quarter into the end of the year, despite everything you just said about the economy in your mind weakening, commercial real estate issues still mm-hmm. remaining there, the consumer slowing. How do we get from point A to B with because, all that? Because, uh, because I just see the positioning and as it's re- reflected in the commitment of traders, you look at S&P futures, we're at historic highs in terms of short positioning there. Uh, one week ago, you looked at positioning in crude oil. We were near, uh, not at all-time highs, but we were certainly uh, categorizing the positioning in oil at a significant overweight. So I think the market is positioned accordingly for Stevens bias. I think the market all year has been somewhat positioned for not the S&P to be up 17%, the NASDAQ to be up nearly 40%. The positioning was slightly bearish, and I think that's why if you get some strong earnings and you move forward here past November 1st where the Federal Reserve pauses, where the Treasury doesn't increase the supply of issuance, you're going to see portfolio managers chase this market towards the end of the year. Bryn, do you want to, what's your view? Yep. So I think that if I think about going to the end of the year, I think for those that are thinking we're going to race to an all-time high, it doesn't seem those ingredients are there for that to happen. So that no, is not, not my base case. High. If it happens, that would... That would be wonderful. Well, a lot of a lot of people are, are are calling for that, or quite a few. So I'm just saying you definitely have the seasonality. I think that to go back to, you know, Steve and Jim, I actually think it's a lower probability we go into a recession because because play this out. First of all, you have fiscal policy fighting the Fed, and so just look at one of the bills, the American Recovery Act. It was 1.4 trillion. So if you read it, the punchline is this. There's billions of dollars on municipalities' balance sheets, whether they're in T-bills or in bank accounts. Those dollars, Scott, have to be obligated by 2024 and spent by 2025. So that's why you're seeing um, battery plants. You're going to continue to see in 2024 a lot of that ARA money and the the other fiscal bills being having to be spent. And so to me, that is billions of dollars that's going to be from the fiscal side coming into the economy. On top of that, you have zero workforce population growth. And so jobs are still plentiful. And so then and then on top of that, you have, you know, the interest on our debt was probably nine out of 12 on budget 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 items in two years. It's probably number one above Social Security and Medicare. So when I put all that together, to me, it's very hard to construct a allocation off of what I just said. 
But what I can do is say, you know what? That to me seems all very inflationary. And I think that's what you're seeing. If I distill it down, that's what you're seeing on the long end of the market is fine. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Fed may be done raising rates, but Scott, is the market done raising rates? And I think when you see services oh, inflation yep. and the CPI report is very high, I question, I think the Fed commentary is the old commentary. It's the market commentary. And then on top of that, QT. So while QE was an experiment, QT is an experiment as well. And so that's why from a positioning, you know, when I say look at to to Joe's point about positioning, since July, the S&P has made lower highs and lower lows. You really want to see that change. And so right now, the S&P is butting up right against that 100 day. And guess what? Going into the close today, we're probably going to be weak. That's where yeah. I think you have to come come down and say higher inflation for longer. Okay. And how do you want to position your portfolio around that? I, I, I love the way that Bryn put that, Jim. I, I thought that was very well said. The Fed might be done <laughs> raising rates. The market might not be done raising rates. Um, because you could say everything you want about, well, this is election year. The Fed is maybe willing to tolerate 3%, yeah. even though I can't imagine that they would be because they've said uh, anything but that. I know it's provocative. Um, yeah. but, but, but also the idea that, well, the market might not be. And in part, that's Larry Fink's point. Yeah. It's like inflation is going to remain elevated. You know, who cares what the Fed does? And they may be on hold. Um, and that's going to be a problem. I, I think we're I think we're all going to agree, maybe not, but it's not the level of interest rates. It's the direction and the magnitude. No, at some point, though, it, no, that, that may have been the upset of September. But at some point, the level is the problem. Um, okay. High, okay. The long end of the curve at fi- above 5 percent. OK, that, that, that hey, is the maybe. level. And that's a problematic. level. Psychologically, when the 10 year cross is 5.0 percent, we're not going to have a good day here. It's just, I mean, we may have fun, but it's not going to be it's actually not going to be fun. The markets are not going to like it. OK. All that said, I strongly believe that 5 percent, five and a quarter, five and a half percent is not in and of itself a fatal level. And you can you can look back to the late 90s, where for five years, the S&P 500 rose, what, Steve, 25 percent? per annum, and the 10-year averaged around 5.5%. The issue is the process to get to 5.5%. If you're talking a year from now, and I really don't think you're going to get to 55 but let's say five and a quarter, another 45 well, I mean, days Michael Harton at a Bank of America today says stocks can do okay as long as yields remain below 5%. It's like 5% seems to be the line in the sand, whether it's a psychological plus some of the other issues that I mentioned. The psychological effect may be temporary, but I don't think the actual fundamental level of 5 is something to worry about. I think, you know, in this range where we are, 480, if you go to 5 and a quarter, the economy doesn't stop on a dime. When you're making capital spending decisions at a semiconductor plant, at an automobile plant, you you know, probably two years ago, you were looking at a 3 or 4% hurdle rate. To take that hurdle rate to 5% isn't that big of a deal. What is a big deal is the rate at which it changes and to be blunt, the effect on bank balance sheets. That's the that's the canary in the coal mine that we should be looking for. Frankly, with what we're seeing today, we're not worried about it. So this is kind of, you know, you're talking about positioning, but you're talking about it. I hear it in a short term point of view. It doesn't feel good today. It didn't feel good yesterday. I don't think that's a systemic fatal flaw, either at 485 or five and a quarter at, at, at the 10 year that's going to prevent us from rallying, as I suspect, into year-end. Bryn? Listen, 5% is not the issue. The issue is the last 13 years at zero. And the impact of moving to five, staying to five, that hasn't even, I mean, we've seen it in the regional banks, right? Those have been just blown up. 
It's that 13 years of zero rates and then the muscle memory we all have of rates low forever. And so I don't think we as investors really believe they're actually going to stay up for longer. But I think people should believe that and have an allocation around that. Because, mm -hmm. right, you can't look at the 90s and compare the 90s to today because we weren't at zero in the 80s. We were at 12 and 15. So, right, five was really cheap when compared to the previous decade. So we are in this uncharted water. And so it's not about five. It's about the zero 13 years before. Yeah, good points you make um, all around today, Bryn. And I appreciate that. Um, let's talk about the banks, okay? I see the results today. And I see JPM is up 3%, and I see Citi up 2 and a third percent, and I see Wells up near 3%. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh, my gosh, Joe might have sold Morgan Stanley and Bank of America too soon. <laughs> no, I, I don't think of it that way. I did exactly. Well, I know you don't. I do. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one that incurs the loss in the portfolio. Uh, so, you know, no, I, I think the rotation that I did, uh, into the QQQ was, was the right trade. Get out of the biotechs, get out of Morgan Stanley, get out of Bank of America. I'm long JP Morgan, so I'm comfortable there. Sure, but obviously. you get my, my point is like, no, I don't, I you don't. know, the, the banks, do you, what do you take from the earnings, right? Beat, beat top and bottom, net interest income guidance goes up. You know, a lot of the worry about higher rates seems to be, you know, benefiting the banks more so than it's hurting them at this particular time. So looking at the banks, it's, it's interesting because I said to myself on the, on the way in, if the banks are going to rally, I actually think it's the regional banks that you want to own, not the money center banks. Because if there is the overall lifting of the, the bearish sentiment surrounding the banking industry, where you've seen the most significant deterioration has been in a lot of those regional banks, and not universally are all these regional banks so poor. Um, I've avoided regional banks since the spring, since we learned of the challenges there. But the real opportunity as you push forward, if you lift the bearishness, is going to be residing in those regional banks. But I don't think the banks are in a position right now where you can believe that they're going to have a lot of green shoots. Because as you heard them discuss today, there's such significant regulatory restrictions in terms of hoarding capital on the balance sheet, I believe that that's going to obviously be an impediment to loan growth. There are challenges as we look ahead if the economy begins to contract. So I'm not at all, I'm not at all questioning myself on selling Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. Mm -hmm. I said at the time when I sold them, I believe both are good franchises, but I'll go back to what I also said that day. Show me some paper okay, where I could buy the debt on Morgan Stanley or Bank of America, I'll take that all day long on this environment where I know their balance sheets are going to be strongly fortified. All right, Weiss, I'm looking at, you know, all those forward PEs, the three stocks that we just showed you are, are all under 10. Yep. Um, the argument you always hear is, God, the valuations are so cheap to book value. That's one of the boons of why you want to get into the stocks. You have Bank of America and Goldman Sachs. So what do, what do you take from these reports today? I, I think the multiples are justified because what they are now are trading houses. They're not, they're not running their core businesses at a higher margin. M&A, despite the pioneer deal, right? M&A is just is paltry, the number of M&A deals. Uh, wealth management is primarily a balance sheet business. The very wealthy are not buying, are not borrowing at these levels. Right? We saw a pickup in Citi's business. Um, 
And what they've said is, we've made this because rates are higher. Rates are higher. No, it's not benefiting to your statement. It's benefiting the banks. It is in one business, but not driving their core businesses. It's more difficult to raise funds. So they have a big fund business. You know, who's investing in private equity funds now? Very, very difficult. VC funds, very difficult. So I think the picture... No, but the, I mean, the, you, you, if you look at the banks, though, yeah. you know, some are more reliant on the kinds of businesses that you're talking about. Right. Not all. Right. The and three maybe, you mentioned are. Three you mentioned are. The three that reported are. Very reliant, right? And as a matter of fact, the inclusion of virtually all the others. There are four banks that really control it. And they're not seeing that in the business. So as trading houses now... That multiple to me is appropriate. Did you? I can't. I'm, I have that you have Bank of America and Goldman Sachs, but then something else I have says you sold Goldman Sachs. No, I cut it back. So if you remember, I, I really increased the position in front of the two recent IPOs, Arm and Instacart, mm. because I thought those would drive it and get people to thinking, hey, maybe it's an early, you know, an early opening of the IPO and secondary window. But I sold it um, when Instacart started to falter. Uh, because that trade was over. So I'm back to very reduced positions, somewhat negligible position, B of A, frankly. And uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, back to just below a core position. Not one of my core positions at all. I got High you. quality, and there'll be a time to come back in. It's just not now. Jimmy, you, you do have City and J.P. Morgan. Um, I, I'm going to make this is obviously very complicated. Here's the most important thing for me. The next three years are when all those infrastructure bills come through in terms of the fiscal spending that Bryn was alluding to. It's really 2024 through 2026. You think about what actually happens. That means excavators going to work. That means general contractors financing the use of those excavators, financing the materials that go into building that infrastructure gets financed by the banks. We can talk about capital markets. Points are well made. And I think they're going to come back in the first quarter but they're not here now. That's true. The In the bread first butter, quarter? I the do, first quarter. I do think. Now, this, I, and I don't think this is that provocative. I, think well, that, I would tell you from the conversations I have, which is every day with senior bankers and people that run banking <laughs> at these firms, they're thinking the second half. They're not seeing it earlier at all. So those okay. people, on the ground, they all have massive pipelines I, of to-dos. But I'm in the private markets every day. I hear you the on The scarcity Instacart. of deals is unbelievable. It's not coming back anytime soon. All right, first off, just to... Complete my point, the bread and butter lending business should be picking up on the back of infrastructure. Maybe you're right. But what's the multiple you put on that? Hang on a second here. Uh, Keep this multiple and give bigger earnings. I mean, this is where you're going to see earnings growth. Um, All that said, you know, look, Instacart, Arm, I get it. Those kind of sputtered. That was kind of testing the waters. If you get what, you know, Joe and I agree is you're going to have a fourth quarter rally. You know those animal spirits will come back. You you continue that into the first quarter. Look, they're down. These IPOs kind of stunk up the joint. They did. They're down. That's why they're they're extrapolating, oh, it's going to be second half. You get a turnaround in the markets. You get capital markets coming back. That could happen in the first quarter. But where would your beta be? Where would your performance be if you believe in a fourth quarter rally? In the banks or in big cap tech? Uh, your point is well made, but what I'm saying is if you're looking past the fourth quarter into the next three years, the banks are pretty attractive at these. So you're, you're advocating for the next three years. Let me, let me ask you this. What happens in 2025 when the 2017 tax cuts sunset and now the financials are faced with a much higher corporate tax rate and the financials are reliant on a lower corporate Boy, tax Joe, rate. Joe, it's a good question. Will you forgive me if I say it's an awfully long time from now? Will you, you just put, <laughs> Jimmy, you, you just, just said we're talking about. I know that, but look, we got to get, that's two years from now. What I'm saying is between now and then, you've got a lot of spending that's coming up. 
You got a lot of fiscal spending. Let's do something real. Let me do one more thing real quick. I read my sheet wrong. Goldman, the the thing you sold relative to Goldman was the Goldman Sachs Just U.S. Large Equity ETF. Yeah. The Just. Yeah. Tell tell our viewers about that. So so Just, so I I sat in the advisory board. It's created, Just Capital is created by Paul Tudor Jones, right? right? To drive equality in the workplace and and, uh, a just capitalist environment. Um, I'm on the investment advisory board, actually stepped off today because of what's happened in the Middle East. This is the point you have to take a stand. And Just Capital, in my view, has become politicized by supporting uh, Black Lives Matter, which supports the PLO. So they've strayed from their mission, in my view. So I'm no longer supportive of it. They've been completely silent. I exchanged emails with, with Martin Whitaker, one of the founders with Paul Tudor Jones today. And he said, his exact words were, uh, I don't think that we could drive the dialogue by saying anything. Are you out of your mind? Are you kidding me? Now's the time where you say something. So this is in reaction to that. This is the time to take a stand. And he is not taking a stand, and their missions become blurred and sidetracked. So I've resigned from the advisory board today, and I sold the shares, period. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, thank you for updating that. Okay, coming up. Uh, We're tracking the trades, more of them. One committee member making some big moves in energy and the chips today. We're going to break those down. Plus, we'll have more on what's driving Boeing uh, lower today when we come back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Oil popping today. Look at that, more than 4%. Bill Baruch joins us now. He's making some big moves in that space. So it's good to see you. Thanks for coming on uh, and telling our viewers what you're doing. So you bought Shell and you sold Pioneer, given the news of the week. Interesting. Tell me why. I, I did. And, and you know, I love this stock. I think there was a stretch of three appearances where it was my final trade. They have great assets in the Permian, but Exxon knows that. Exxon's buying them, and the, the buy price is 250 You know, I, I might be worried that something could fall apart here, and then you get a, maybe a 10 15 20% drop. What I'm looking at here with Shell, I, we're very overweight energy. We're upwards towards 17% right now, uh, but I wanted to get another name in there. And it, European oil majors trade at a deep discount to American and US, the U.S. ones. But what I see here is, is an absolute breakout in Shell, and they have just terrific assets. So I, I think this is a really nice trade here where you could get a valuation catch-up, too. Okay. What about Pioneer? Well, Pioneer, I mean, right at 250, Exxon's buying them at 250. What's the risk here? I mean, I, yeah, we could trade around 250. You could trade at a, at a premium. I love the name, but I, at this point right here, I'd be a little worried that we could see a 10 or 15% drop 
you know, just because a deal sort of falls apart. Yeah. Um, and then you bought AMD, which is interesting, too, because you had sold it in mid-July. So why are you buying it back? Well, we never didn't dislike the name. This was more of a seasonality trade for us, where we wanted to raise cash and, uh, and give us some flexibility going into the negative time of year. And what, you know, we timed that pretty good on the exit with AMD in the middle of July. Uh, along with that time, we sold Tesla as well and just raised a tremendous amount of cash. What I'm seeing here is from a technical basis, AMD has now moved out of a nice uh, wedge pattern and back above the 50-day moving average. But the real, prop, real thing here is that the point is, is that there's an AI catch-up trade. And I think that AMD could really catch up with NVIDIA. Now, I don't think that everybody really wants one major GPU dealer. And that's really, I think, where AMD is going to come into play. Not only that, their software is starting to catch up with NVIDIA. And that was a big point that I made in the first half of the year, that there is no, you know, NVIDIA is number one, there's no number two, no number three. Maybe AMD is number three now with the AI software and allowing uh, you know, people to really open the door and utilize their GPUs. What this is, though, is I'm looking at, and this could be a tough road, but what I'm looking at is, is the, this could be really be priced in. This, is, this multiple and, and the expectations could start to be priced in here in the coming months or coming quarters, and I want to be there for that. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you coming on and talking to us about it today, Bill Baruch. We will talk to you Thank again you. soon. I, I want to use the segue, uh, guys, of, of the AMD buy to do our calls of the day. Lamb Research, Applied Materials, upgraded to buy at Needham today. Lamb's target to eight. Yep, Lamb's target to 800. Applied materials to uh, 180. You have both of these in the Joe yeah. T. Might be a little bit rich on the price target, but these these are two companies that really define the environment we're in right now where I believe the viewers should be focused on companies that have the revenue here and now the free cash flow generation right now. And that's exactly what these two companies deliver. They are the purest definition of quality. That's the direction of what you want right now in a market that's bifurcating companies based upon what their leverage exposure is. Jim Labenthal. Sir. What about these names? I mean, you have a bunch, you don't have these specifically, but you do have a bunch of chips. And by the way, Deutsche Bank today, says, and I'm quoting from their note today, we believe selectivity remains key, focusing on names with de-risk cyclicality, co-specific catalysts, and exposure to strong secular trends. Now, NXPI on their list. You have that one, NXP. Yeah. So, interesting story there. That's a stock that has 50% of its business come from the automotive region. We know what's going on with the strike. We know what's going on with production, and that's actually made this stock cheaper than it should be. I do believe at some point uh, the strike's going to have to get settled. When it is settled, we know that inventories on dealer lots are low. We know that average age of cars are extraordinarily high. Put that together, there's going to have to be car production, and that's going to drive NXP's business. I like the setup here. It's extraordinarily cheap for what I see ahead of it in terms of automobile production. How about you, yeah, I mean, obviously I own NVIDIA, and I think Jensen has delivered not only in execution, but in performance. I think number two, I think Lisa Sue is, is amazing. So I would put NVIDIA, AMD, and LAM Research. If I were to add two more, I would add AMD and LAM Research. And so I think what's interesting about this space, what I wouldn't be doing is buying the SMH. Sometimes you can buy a sector, sometimes you can't. There's such a dispersion of what these individual companies do, how they execute, and the performance. I would do the work and buy the individual names versus the ETF in this case. Okay. Well, speaking of tech, ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood will be on this program on Monday. We're very excited about that. 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha.
Hi, Scott. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the U.S. is working with Qatar to secure the release of hostages taken into Gaza. At a press conference in Doha, Blinken and the Qatari foreign ministers said they are also working to create a humanitarian corridor, but that it's being hampered by Hamas. Blinken urged Israel to take every precaution to avoid harming civilians and said the focus is to create safe zones in the territory. Now, a small Israeli town near the border with Lebanon was declared a military zone by Israel Defense Forces for fear that they could be targeted by Lebanon-based Hezbollah, which backs Hamas. Around 2,000 citizens were told to evacuate from Metula. The IDF said there was an explosion near the border earlier today at a security fence. Israeli forces responded with artillery fire. And barriers and fencing have been installed around the U.S. Capitol building and other law enforcement agencies agencies in Washington, D.C. The move is a precaution after a former Hamas leader urged supporters to make today a day of rage. Increased security measures are also being deployed at Jewish facilities and communities across the country. Scott, back to you. All right, Bertha, thank you, Bertha Coombs. Up next, one health care stock is popping on earnings. Steve Weiss owns it. We trade it, and we'll do that after this quick break. Dow's good for 144, so we've gone green there. See what we do over the final stretch here. Are you struggling to lower your bad LDL cholesterol, even though you may be taking a statin, swapping steaks for salads, and exercising while listening to this podcast? Ask your doctor if Repatha Evolocumab is right for you. With Repatha, you can dramatically reduce bad cholesterol and the risk of another heart attack while enjoying life, too, because you're human. And with convenient self-administration, you can take Repatha in the comfort of your own home. Do not take Repatha if you're allergic to it. Repatha can cause serious allergic reactions. Signs include trouble breathing or swallowing, or swelling of the face. Most common side effects include runny nose, sore throat, common cold symptoms, flu or flu-like symptoms, back pain, high blood sugar and redness, pain, or bruising at the injection site. Visit Repatha.com or call 1-844-REPATHA. Talk to your doctor today about Repatha. All right, we're back. Let's get to our chart of the day. It is Boeing. It is the worst performing stock right now in the Dow. So, Jimmy, you had a Deutsche Bank analyst cutting deliveries yes. uh, today, in part because of these, you know, these more issues related to the 737 MAX. Yeah, it's, the, it's an issue that cropped up two months ago, but it doesn't seem to be going away. I've been saying, Judge, you know this for quite some time, that what Boeing's been doing is taking two steps forward, giving one step back. I've got to acknowledge this one step back is a doozy. It's down 20% over the last two months, which makes me ask, is this an air safety worthiness question? I don't think it is, and the company has been adamant for the last two months saying this is not an airworthiness safety issue. If it is not, then this is a manufacturing issue, which gets solved. They always do. And, you're, and as far as the deliveries go, you're correct, the Deutsche Bank analyst is correct, that in the short term, this has hit deliveries. The company is projecting that in a year and a half, they're going to be almost double the production rate and delivery rate that they're at right now. And in the near term, they see deliveries picking up. Over the last year and a half, I have learned to trust this manager. And I'm looking at my friend over here because he disagrees with me. You're, you're, I respect it. But I think Mr. Calhoun, who I really was ticked off at, you remember, I was really oh, you ticked are. off at. Yeah. I think he's pulled it around, and I have faith in him, and I think he's going to pull this manufacturing issue around and get those deliveries going again. 
Well, the stock price disagrees. It does. You know, and when do you say no moss? I mean, it's, uh, I don't know why you think he's turned it around other than time was on his side. The problems took much longer to resolve than they should have. And at, at some point, you have to say, okay, we've got to replace the CEO. And don't forget, he was visible on the board when the whole debacle happened. So his legacy with Boeing mm-hmm. is, couldn't be more negative I don't understand why the board continues to keep him there. I'll tell you there's why. nobody better. I'll tell you why. Because, Steve, if you talk to industry insiders, they say this is a culture problem that goes back to the acquisition of McDonnell Douglas in 1999. That culture is, no, you know this, when you've got a bad culture, remember Solomon Brothers? It takes years to turn it around. That, he is turning it around, and the way you see that is that they are delivering 737s, and they are delivering 787s, whereas a year and a half ago, two years ago, they were not. See, that doesn't hold water because the stock performed tremendously tremendously well until you had the grounding, the original grounding, right? And that's when he became front and center. Not that he wasn't front and center as a very active board member. So you can't go back to 99 and exclude the stock performance prior to what happened with the max. You just can't. He was that's a direct, forum shopping. He was, he was a director, not a CEO. That's, that's not the person who you're expecting to be boots on the ground, actually changing okay. corporate culture, actually firing people who we're, need to we're be not, fired. We're not, we're not going to settle this. So, so Jim, Jim, how do you judge a turnaround if, you, if it's not the stock price? Because you look at the stock price and it's obviously in the same place as it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. How is it a viewer or an investor should think about judging a turnaround, as you said? Simply for Boeing, are they delivering planes or not? And they are delivering planes. Fewer plane, planes than they were supposed to. And that is that is quickly being rectified. Of course, they're going to deliver planes. They make planes. They're going to deliver them. Well, that was not the case a year and a half ago. Let me just ask you this question, because I think Joe poses a good question Mm -hmm. to you. Um, Who cares if they're delivering planes in and of itself if the stock price isn't delivering for you? Who cares if people need automobiles if the stock prices of General Motors and Ford aren't delivering for you? Valid. Who cares if airplanes are full? If the stock prices of the airliners are not delivering for you. I see your point, and here's my answer. As a long-term investor, when you have, and this happens, when you have periods of times, folks, where the share price doesn't reflect actual operational earnings, what you let is you let those earnings pile up on the balance sheet. All these companies we're talking about, General Motors, Alaska, Boeing, they're earning cash flow with which they're cleaning up the balance sheet. Boeing's got a long way to go. It's got a long way to go. But as long as those cash flows are positives, they're cleaning up the balance sheet and eventually returning that to you. You just got to let those cash flows come in. It is cash flows to answer your question. Okay. okay. All right. So let's do this. Um, we'll do United Health a little bit later. We'll, we will get to it because um, I know Steve, you own it. It's having a good day yeah. off those earnings. So we'll talk about it. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about the builders as, as well. Joe's betting on them. Weiss betting against them. We'll find out who's right. The debate is on because these stocks have not done well uh, at all. In fact, the home construction ETF, that's the ITB, is coming off its worst day of the year yesterday. We'll debate all of that next. Welcome back. Housing stocks under pressure this year. So let's discuss this. Okay, Joey, you got DR Horton, you got Lennar. I said the ITB is coming off its worst day of the year. Weiss, you are short the ITB, um, which is the Home Builders ETF. Okay, state your case, counselor. (laughs) 
So the home builders have been part of the uh, strategy for the better part of the last year. That's worked out particularly well, certainly as you move through the spring into the summer. What's happened subsequent to that? We've had earnings in September, earnings that were okay, but yet the response in terms of price action was not favorable. So I, I think what we're trying to understand here is, was it more specifically about these home builders, Lunar, D.H. Horton, or was it more about the overall macro environment of the third quarter in which you saw the price deterioration? I've acknowledged that I believe these companies certainly saw their peak moment in terms of the spring. I don't think you could expect an environment like that as we move forward and you see rates stay elevated. In terms of what we do at positioning, you know I'm not going to answer that question. It's the end of the month. These obviously are two names that could remain in the portfolio or they could be taken out of the portfolio. But clearly over the last year, they've benefited being in the portfolio. Weiss. Look, I'm also short the XHB, which is also allegedly a home building index, but it's really a retail index yeah. with Home Depot and Lowe's and all the others being dominant there. Mm -hmm. Look, affordability is, is challenging for home buying. I agree with the supply demand characteristics. I agree with the shortage of new homes. What we're seeing, applications, working applications are taking a nosedive. So the stocks look cheap. Seasonal, you're not going to a seasonal selling period, right? And seasonality gets exacerbated depending upon the macro fundamentals. So there's nothing positive there. This is as much a view on the housing industry, those stocks, as this, frankly, a hedge. A poor hedge, given the beta in my, it's a mismatch on the beta given the rest of my stock, but I just don't see the upside here. These stocks are perennially cheap, and they should be, because they're really interest rate proxies by and large. Okay, I said we'll do more on United Health. We will coming up. Still have a lot ahead. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back. There it is, United Health. We'll get to it. Two and two thirds percent, Weiss, uh, on the back of earnings. Profitable yeah. health care for you. Yeah, and also my largest position got larger today with the move. Uh, look, it's a high quality name, it's a defensive name, and by the way, it benefits from some of the points that you made with employment growth, et cetera. So, but what, what's not really being talked about, probably because it's not known, is what the weight loss drugs like Ozempic do for them. Right? So we know they're high-priced drugs, right? and they've got to reimburse them. But when you take a look like the recent kidney study that came out, mm -hmm. in my mind, these stocks should act the, to the inverse of what we have with the kidney dialysis names. We had another one, OM, disappoint today. So, so I think the future remains bright for them. This is what I love, and when I bought it, what I said is it's a permanent compounder. They're dominant in their business. Really, really smart management, manages it well. To me, I'm continuing to own it, um, and I just think it's a phenomenal stock in itself, but also for this market. Who is Vertex? Is that you? I have Vertex. You have Vertex. Um, I bring it up because, well, Bank of America lays out its sort of preview of things. They raised their, what they call their price objective uh, to 425 from 400. Yeah, well, the, the multiple sclerosis business that Vertex operates in is basically their market. Um, what you're really looking for with Vertex is do they expand their market beyond MS? And I think they will. Um, that's why the stock is getting a premium. To, to use uh, one of my analysts' quotes, they have a lot of shots on goals, goal coming up, and some of them are going to hit the net. 
Yeah. Bryn, what about healthcare and the names that, that, you, um, that you own, if any? Well, I mean, yeah, my, my, my single security is AbbVie, which has a very high free cash flow yield. It was a great performer in 2022. It's been weak along with the majority of healthcare. But I think that if you want to look at a sector outside of energy that has the highest free cash flow yield outside of energy, that's healthcare. And so I think as we go into more uncertain times, that free cash flow yield gives these companies optionality. And I, I don't own Eli, I wish I did. I still think this is a really exciting time for what we're going to see over the next few years with Novo and Eli. So it's a company I'm doing research on to see if it's something that should go into the portfolio. I'll hit, okay, thank you. I'll hit one more name um, with you, Joe, um, just because it reports earnings next week. We talked about it yesterday, uh, Intuitive Surgical, yeah. right? Uh, upset this week on, you know, Weiss talking about weight loss drugs. It's obviously had a profound impact on some of these stocks. What about this now ahead of earnings? I think it's an example of, of where you have to be active right now in the healthcare sector and intuitive surgical is that type of name. Intuitive surgical has a tremendous amount of tailwinds behind it. I think generally overall for healthcare, one of the reasons why you've seen the underperformance this year is there's this negative pervasive sentiment that's prevailing from the biotech sector. The biotech sector has traded awful in 2023. And until that lifts, I don't know if you're going to get the type of positive universal environment for healthcare you had in 2022. Did you used to own AbbVie? I did own that. You did, right? We're, 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 we sold that at Abbey. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, we will do final trades coming up. Well, it's going to be an interesting final hour today, to say the least. I hope you'll join me at 3 o'clock on Closing Bell. Eric Johnston, really bearish. Brian Belsky, bullish. They're going to go head-to-head -head on that show, and I don't want you to miss the debate. Courtney Gibson is back with us, excited about that, and John Spallanzani as well. So I'll see you in a little bit. Um, final trades. Bryn Talkington, please start us off. Yeah, if you feel compelled to make a trade going into the weekend with all the geopolitical events, uh, GLDM, which is gold, trades just like GLD, but it's got a cheaper expense ratio. Yeah, gold's been ripping. I'm glad you uh, mentioned that, up 3%. Steve Weiss. Humana. Humana actually is less expensive, probably for good reason, than United Health, but has the same fundamentals going for it by and large. Humana. Farmer Jim. Nike has had good sentiment back above 100. I think the holiday season is going to be very good for Nike. You notice I took back Jimmy Goldilocks, right? I know. You told I me, to. you told me after to. the show yesterday I, you like Farmer Jim better. I do. I wish. Uh, I like Jimmy the Bull. <laughs> well, we'll see. Joey. <laughs> Jimmy the Bull. CrowdStrike yesterday, 52-week <laughs> high. Cybersecurity names, more upside to come. All right. I'll see you in a couple hours. Uh, the exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.